When Ryan's when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting. The A team that makes sense of these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Wade take the mic. Hello, it is Rewind Raw. I'm John Pollock here alongside Wei Ting. And Wei, I have a question for you. What's that? Can you tell where I am right now? Give it a second. Can you hear that? I think you're in Nassau. I'm at the Nassau Coliseum. You nailed it. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, it was a pretty quiet crowd tonight. Ooh. You know, I... Yeah, f it. I'm going. I'm going to get all the uh, detractors who take it as such a, a personal affront when I comment on the lack of crowd heat. And I'm not even saying it's like ill warranted. I'm just stating a fact that, from my vantage point, watching this broadcast, this was a very subdued crowd for three hours. And I'm sorry, Long Islanders, love you. There's a reputation out there. Sure. Right. Um. I don't know. Like in in any of these situations, I I guess I always think about where the city is, but also the quality of show that was being presented. How I guess we'll get into it in the review, but what 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 do you think it was for this this particular show? Uh, no, it's not like this was a show that was going to necessarily um, maybe engage this crowd for three hours. But I felt it was a struggle, like right from the get go, and may, maybe that's just a sign of. What they were into on, on this show. Uh, I, I can't say that uh, I was watching this blowaway show and this crowd just couldn't get into it. That was not the case. Um, but nonetheless, I, I did think like overall, it just kind of hampered the show for me watching, you know, th- this whole show with it with a crowd that it was it was very minimal what they seemed to get into. And it just yeah, it didn't make for a great atmosphere. That was one of my major takeaways on the show. Well, if a city is not going to get behind a beatdown of the um what were they called the the uh um the East Hampton Polo Boys or something yes. uh was that East Hampton I believe the so the East Hampton Polo Boys yes I mean that to me was uh should have been I, a I th- slam dunk yeah this seemed really easy we're going to come out and murder these guys. I well, we'll we'll, we'll get into that. Maybe part. there are a few East Hamptoners in the crowd tonight. Oh, you maybe maybe it struck a chord. Maybe hmm. some people it was a road trip to go to Long Island. So, uh we will get into all of that. There's a lot of stuff to get into uh coming out of this weekend. A uh just I, I don't know where to begin and where where everything ends with some of this stuff. Well, first of all, I think we should begin by telling everybody where they can listen to a review of last night's New Japan Power Struggle show. That is exactly where we should be sending some people to. While there was a uh, power struggle with the crowd tonight, there was also one in Osaka on Sunday, and Wei and I have a full review of a very newsworthy edition of uh, our Power Struggle post show. Uh, It's up there for members of the Post Wrestling Cafe. $6 a month gets you all of our bonus shows, minimum two shows a week. Last week, we did four bonus shows for cafe members, so uh, you can check that out. Full review of the main event with Jay White, Hiroki Goto, the return the return of Hiromu Takahashi, Chris Jericho issuing his challenge to Hiroshi Tanahashi. Uh, a lot as they are now starting to build the two Tokyo Dome cards for January. So, um, yeah, a lot of news coming out of that show. 
Yeah, I know a lot of people perhaps, you know, coming out of the G1, you might not be paying as much attention to New Japan. I would say now might be the time to jump back in, uh, in time for Wrestle Kingdom. In fact, they are going to be doing their press conference probably by the tail end of us recording this show. So if we go long enough, we might even get some news. But if not, we'll we'll discuss it certainly in the shows ahead. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll keep uh, monitoring that. If not, we'll have all that stuff up on the site on Tuesday because we've got those U.S. shows this weekend. We've got the World Tag League. Uh, that's the, the final results big of the tour poll, of the year. John. The results and of the, the line poll. I know the line poll. I'm excited. 24 hour poll. That was a good t- good length for this poll. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we will see what they're going to announce. Can we get a poll on the 24 seven title? Maybe they should uh, throw that one out online. Whether or not it should continue. You mean yes. Yeah, or maybe just have a reduced, uh, like, one day a week for three hours. It's it's just the Raw title, isn't it? One day a week for three hours. Isn't that what, what it is now? Well, it's the 24-7 title, but that's oh. not exactly a 1-3. Right. This, I, I honestly cannot tell you. Is the title on SmackDown or is it on Raw? It's on the Singh Brothers. I'm pretty sure it's on Raw because um, I, I heard something. Right, because Carmella's on SmackDown, R-Truth is on Raw. Yes. That's right, yeah. Uh, and the Sting Brothers are on Raw, I think. Doesn't matter. I believe so. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> we'll find well, out soon enough. Yeah, we, we will find out. Uh, quick look ahead to the schedule this week. Way and I are going to be back on Tuesday night. As Way mentioned, it is the new beginning in Osaka. Did you say that already this show? Or am um, I imagining you saying that? We said it the I... first time we tried to record the show. Okay. Uh, and that's been discarded. So in, a, in another reality where we didn't screw up. Uh, that Dude, my, bra- my brain is fried tonight. <laughs> Way is going to carry me through this show. No, no, okay, no. I have nothing. I have nothing left. I'm John hasn't had a straight up. John hasn't had a day off of uh, recording podcasting since last Sunday. Wait, yeah. Like I, uh, when was the last time you had? <laughs> is, a that, day is that off? is that true? I don't. I even can't know. Tell I'm looking you. at our schedule. Well, since oh. last Sunday, and you're you're going to go. I mean, the both of us, we're going to go all the way until this next oh. Sunday. So it'll have been two weeks since you've had a day off from recording. Oh my god. It's a lot. Uh, so Tuesday night, we're, we're back. We're going to be chatting the new beginning in Osaka from February 2014, headlined by Kazuchika Okada versus Hiroki Goto. Then we're going to be uh, also chatting about dinosaurs. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, you're not there yet, are you? I am. I mean, I, 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 saw, I saw the entrance. Uh, Kazuchika Okada comes out with a velociraptor or whatever the hell this thing is. So... Um, Maybe inspiring a very young Luchasaurus. Could could have been, yes. So that will be up for Cafe members Tuesday night. Wednesday, of course, it's your your one-two punch. Rewind to Dynamite with the go-home show heading into full gear this weekend, which we found out on Sunday night is this weekend. I was very Paper surprised. View. Yeah, that seemed far in the distance. But no, full gear is happening this Saturday. Uh, up next, we'll also have a show with Braden Harrington and Davey Portman. Thursday, the Cafe Hangout returns to its regular time slot of 3 p.m. Eastern Time. All patrons can watch live and call in, and we are not going to be alone. We are bringing the uh, our own version of the Luchasaurus. He is Damian Abraham. I don't know what that means, but he is going to be here in studio with us and taking your calls, and he's going to hang out with us for the entire show. We're going we're gonna to go through ratings with Damian Abraham. I can't wait. So that means you, you're Marco Stunt and I'm Jungle Boy? Uh, but, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You, you're the one that I think everyone loves and I'm the more polarizing one. <laughs> That's certainly not how I, I see it, but 
All right. I look forward to that. So yeah. Tune in for the uh the Cafe Express on Thursday at three PM. Looking forward to catching up with Damien. We had to we went all in with, with Damien over the summer, so he had to, like, leave the territory for a bit, and it's the big comeback this Thursday. I'm excited. Uh, yeah, I actually saw him last week, and, John, I believe <laughs> you're going to have lunch with him. I, we did not coordinate the, this lunch well, did we? Well, I mean, it, it, no, it's good. It's good. It's good. You get, we're I each going to – you know what? On Thursday, we're going to compare our lunches with Damien. You that's and me. right. Yeah, pretty yes. much. Yeah. We like to watch our wrestling separately, and then we convene <laughs> here to discuss our thoughts. And we do the same with lunch with our friends, where I had uh, my we, one-on-one we, lunch with Damien. John's going to have his one-on-one time with Damien, and then we did, will... Didn't you hang out with one of our other mutual friends last week? Did I? A certain... Um, di- didn't you uh, catch up with an old friend to look oh. at your retrospective uh, friendship and chat about... Um... What? I was trying to make a reference without saying the person's name. Uh, like he who shall not be named? Well, I, I don't know. Oh, yes, I guess so. I don't know if you consider uh, him a mutual friend, but sure, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, I'm, I was just going to add that I, I hung out with him today, so we could also, we, huh? we could go through a whole list of people. I'm so confused. I don't even I know. I know, so am I. About. Dude, I told you. I warned you at the beginning. <laughs> Let's just move on. Cafe Hangout at 3. Either you're tuning in or you're not. I'll get over it. Friday. We're, what's Friday? Smackdown. Fri- Smackdown is Friday. It's on Fox. Uh don't know what's happening on SmackDown. Probably Saturday. a full roster, you can expect. This yeah, week. it's not going to be a weekend roster, as they told us tonight on Raw. I think very interesting will be, will be the, the, the rating for SmackDown. I mean, the ratings are interesting every single week. But, but you know, this string of SmackDowns, I, I find very fascinating. I'm more interested in the NXT number this Wednesday. Yeah. Do you think absolutely. that they... I, I, th- I think it's very reasonable to expect that they're going to uh, gain something out of these. Especially from SmackDown, I, I sense much more... Uh, positivity coming out of SmackDown that uh, who knows, but the exposure level for these two episodes, like this is the hardest they've ever pushed NXT on raw or SmackDown. It's true, but you know, they hardly made, made it known that, you know, NXT was going to feature something that would continue this particular storyline. Like you and I discussed possibly announcing something of like, maybe, you know, a, a raw member showing up on, on NXT, like Seth Rollins, even showing up on NXT, if they were to announce something like that, I guess they could announce it later, but I think that would that would be good to start the show off anticipating something. But I think with the UK tour, that kind of throws everything out because I I don't think they'd be available to do NXT this week. But I understand what you mean that you know we'll see if they do that on a Wednesday before Survivor Series announce on Friday or Monday that talent is going to NXT on Wednesday. It seems that this would be the most opportune time to do that one of these weeks, right? Saturday night, we've got uh, the Full Gear post show with Way and I. That will be live for Double Double, Ice Cap, and Espresso members taking your phone calls, chatting about the pay-per-view. And then we have a late addition to the lineup. Saturday night, WH Park is going to be joined by a mystery co-host, and he's going to be reviewing the New Japan card from San Jose, California. Oh, excellent. Perfect. Wonderful. Yes, I don't. I don't know who this mysterious man is, but uh, you can look forward to that uh, late Saturday, early Sunday morning from WH Park because we got head-to-head action from New Japan and AEW this Saturday night, and the week uh, rounds out with more WH Park on Sunday as we will have Thunderstruck, and this week he's joined by Joey Bay, and they're reviewing Jushin Thunder Liger, Rey Mysterio Jr. from Starcade 1996, where Rey Mysterio. Takes out Jushin Thunder Liger's knees with a baseball bat. 
Of course. Yes. All that at postwrestling.com. If you want to check out the Patreon, it is postwrestlingcafe.com. I think I hit everything. You did. Yeah. Thank you, John. All right. Let us move on to the news. And we start off in Saudi Arabia, I guess. Well, that's where everyone spent a lot of time, more time than they expected last week. Um, boy, we've, uh, we, we've discussed this a bit. Uh, I have gone through a partial timeline on the website. We have you know, more news coming out of it today. But I guess, way just to kind of encapsulate things, you know, you have been following this as much as anyone. What are the takeaways, questions you have from all of this over the weekend, from the delays to the talent reactions online to the company's response or lack thereof and where we are now looking in the rearview mirror at this crown jewel event and travel chaos. Ooh, I, I think, you know, we can certainly say for sure that, um, after every single one of these Saudi Arabia shows there, there seems to be some, some discussion coming out of it. And, um, uh, you know, who could have predict, predicted that the conversation would be maybe as strange as, you know, it ended up being for this particular show. I think there are still plenty of unanswered questions and um, maybe attempts to, you know, stop people from asking those questions. I mean, in the end, it could very well be just an overreaction to something that was, you know, perhaps just n- not much more than a mechanical failure, as they say. However, I mean, I feel as though the communication between perhaps the company and the talent um from at least from look from the outside looking in seems to be it, it seems to have bred you know uh maybe a lot of suspicion and suspicion not just coming from um the audience or or the media but from within the company itself and um i it makes me yeah it makes me wonder perhaps what what the repercussions of of that alone are uh, no matter what sort of, um, I don't know, the reality might be. Yeah, I I think that at the end of this, I, you know, there there are some people that completely are, and I don't even want to label everyone, but looking at the mechanical issues, I feel pretty confident there were some mechanical problems here. The question becomes, was there, was this expedited in the quickest fashion? Were... Were the people over there uh, subject to a certain runaround? Was this uh, a larger power play? Those are the questions we have that we don't have answers to. I can't definitively say that nor dismiss it. I'm not comfortable completely dismissing that either at this point. Um, a lot of this was raised after you know Hugo Savinovich went public with this, citing a WWE executive and a contact in Saudi Arabia that kind of outlined this power play between Vince McMahon and the government with the threat to pull the signal for Crown Jewel on NBC Action, which is the broadcaster of this show in Saudi Arabia. Now, that checks out in the sense that this show did start, I believe, at about 2.06 p.m., so an hour after the fact. That's when, well, I should say that's when the NBC action Twitter account starts uh, announcing that the show has begun and starts putting out content at that point. And you can see uh, viewers tweeting the network asking where Crown Jewel was. And that's a question. And maybe there is a logical explanation for it. 
WWE apparently did issue a statement to uh, Forbes on Monday stating this uh, the delay had nothing to do with payments, but they have not clarified what the cause of the delay was. So, I mean, if you're looking at Hugo Savinovich's story and if you're looking at different avenues here, I mean, there is there is a reasonable uh, case here to at least, okay, debunk this, explain what the delay was. You can look at the 10Q filing that the WWE had where the, the coincidence that this earnings call was the same day just an hour before the kickoff was to start is you know the timing of all this. You can see that a payment was due, but they also stated that $60 million was paid sometime in October. They have not stated when that was made. And again, there may be a perfectly logical explanation here, but I don't think they have been answered to the uh, satisfaction of the the people on the outside looking in and the people that were directly affected by this that were stuck there. Um, you know, with AJ Styles, he went on his uh, on his Mixer account and kind of gave his perspective of what happened and believes in the mechanical issues, spoke to the pilot. He also just has this throwaway line of whatever happened with Vince McMahon and the Prince or the King or whoever was running this show. That's not for me to ask. So at least that rumor had permeated to the talent. It could have been it, it could have just been hearsay and unfounded. We don't know. So we're left here and there's a lot of questions. And the danger when there's a lot of questions is that you try to fill in the gaps. And that really is a nice way of saying speculating. And it's 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 definitely a tricky and sometimes dangerous avenue to go down, especially at something at, at this kind of level where you're talking about a, a government in Saudi Arabia and WWE performers who uh, I think you could certainly see that sense from those that were at least public with their comments over the weekend that were pretty upset um, feeling that they got this run around. Their families were very concerned, rightfully so, whether there was a cause for panic or not. Uh, the talent had stated, or at least some of them, that you know they didn't feel that they were in any immediate danger. And I, I don't think that you look at this that there was any kind of uh, uh, it, danger in the sense that there was nothing happening where they were uh, freaking out here. But you're in a foreign country with you know a certainly uh, a track record that would uh, put you at a bit of cause, especially for family that is back home that are huh. questioning this. Oh yeah. So, <laughs> uh, I'm trying to be as delicate as possible, as Man. you can hear away, as I'm trying to just navigate through all this and cut me off if I'm just rambling. But, you know, that's – it just seems like the idea that, you know, AJ's going through this timeline that they got there and then there was a problem with the flight and then there was – and the WWE really saying they were on the tarmac for six, for over six hours. Then AJ saying then there was paperwork. Like what is this paperwork? And then they're put up in a really nice hotel and – I mean, was this a power play? Was this a legitimate just issue where it was all these certain circumstances, pilots that and staff that reached their maximum number of hours worked before they needed a break? It just seemed this is all a very it, – it's a very fishy story and maybe there is all these dots that connect that we're just not seeing right now. But that's what happens when you have – a lack of transparency, and I think that's what we're we're seeing over these past couple of days, and the WWE clearly wanting to move on from any of this speculation. Yeah, um, and I, I find it suspicious, I mean, as well, that 
feels like there were attempts to maybe get the talent to, I don't know, post uh, updates, ensuring that everybody, ensuring everybody that it, that it was perhaps mechan- mechanical failure. Um, I, I I find it interesting too the way that they might have um, that the, the particular talent might have reacted to some of the official statements that the WWE posted about the situation. Yeah, I think that the the initial release that the WWE put out about uh, the 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 staff and talent being left on the tarmac and then a select few, you know, I- implying that these people got their own charter just so they could go save SmackDown. I think it was really clear that that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, insinuating that. Um, there, there were people left back there that either were not chosen to be on this flight or uh, d- did not have the, the same level of commitment to uh, come make this show. And I, I know that uh, Fightful, they reported some of the names that were on that flight. And it makes sense that they wanted to get the immediate talent back that were already scheduled to do SmackDown so that you could get your show that was set for Fox. Um but at, at the same time, you know, the talent that was left there and left, you know, that flight was supposed to leave at 3 a.m. Uh, local time in Saudi Arabia after the show. And they were stuck there over 25 hours before they finally got to leave. And that's that's just an incredibly long period of time. It's that on top of, I think, the maybe the public humiliation of insinuating that somebody like Luke Harper didn't care enough to charter their own flight um so much so that you know somebody like luke harper would go on instagram to say to sarcastically state that he you know larry i'm home i guess i didn't want it enough to pay for my own charter and tj wilson you know adding a comment to that as well so clearly i think um eric young as well i mean people were not um shy in their displeasure of that and that is not axel Yeah, like that is not something you see in mass from WWE performers that maybe they feel one way they are going to bite their tongue publicly. This was not one of those cases. And I think that that underscores just how upset they were. Um, You know, there was also a lot about uh, kind of the timeline of Vince McMahon and his staff leaving Saudi Arabia. Um, The latest was that um, and, and this came from Dave Meltzer in his update today that Vince McMahon's flight left Saudi Arabia at 12.40 a.m. local time. So that would have been two hours and 20 minutes before the charter was initially set to leave. So that that really doesn't paint a picture of Vince McMahon just up and get, gets out of there. It was not that much earlier that he left. It was just over two hours and – you know, he may have, you know, he did have to be at SmackDown the next day. Uh, I don't know the circumstances behind Vince McMahon, but at least now that we got that, that timeline that Dave Meltzer's reporting of him leaving uh, just over two hours before the talent was supposed to leave and also stating that he had left uh, before he knew of any other problems of the talent flying out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so at this point, what new information do we have today? So today... Um, there was apparently a talent meeting at raw today and going over this. And again, I have not heard from anyone that was in the meeting. Um, again, from Dave Meltzer's update, it was essentially bringing up that, um, well, let, let me just read it here. Um, this is from Dave Meltzer. We don't have details of what transpired at this time. 
But these are some things we've been told. The company blamed talent speculation for causing a problem. The talent was told the flight issues were all mechanical and nothing more. And Seth Rollins attempted to do a rah-rah speech while telling people to keep things like this off social media in the future. Um, I, I hesitate to be uh, so dismissive because you, you do want to kind of hear the context and how this message was delivered. But to me, if if the tone was essentially you talent that were stranded over there – Shame on you for how you handled this. Um, I can't imagine that inspiring a lot of um, goodwill among the locker room that you come all the way back here. You're days away from having to get back onto a flight to go over for the UK tour and you're admonished for how you handled all of this. Mm -hmm. Right. So it doesn't read very well. You know, the, the biggest stuff to me is kind of like the... Was this a bigger issue involving uh, Vince McMahon and the government? And that was really initiated by Hugo Savinovich and citing his sources. And really, you did not see those theories floated out by the talent. They were reflecting that we were uh, stuck here. And I, I guess when you, when you look at that, it was you certainly had language that alluded to the fact that this was much more than just frustration or just mechanical problems when you saw some of the uh, responses and and videos, but not at least anyone in WWE directly uh, going and outlining, you know, the, the allegations that Hugo Sovinovich went to those lengths to kind of outline for people. Nor would I expect something like that to come out, maybe in that scenario. I mean, those are very serious allegations that I, I assume would, would just be more kind of, you know, private private discussion rather than, you know, a relatively public forum, even in a setting mm -hmm. like that. Um, but, but based on what AJ said, I mean, clearly that uh, some version of that story was at least going around. because it, it, At the very least, I think it shows you that maybe the talent are in some ways as in the dark as everybody, you know, maybe following the story from the outside. Um, it, it, it's probably a very small circle that know yeah. the, the full story here. And I sure. don't imagine any of them talking about this. Right. Yeah. Uh, in addition to that, the press release that was, uh, given by the WWE today. Yeah. Wanted to get to that. So in, after all of that, um, press release goes out today, um, late in the day announcing from the WWE. Following the historic Crown Jewel event in Riyadh, WWE and the Saudi General Entertainment Authority have expanded their live event partnership through 2027 to include a second annual large-scale event. WWE and GEA also continue to work towards the completion of a media agreement in the MENA region. This was the deal that the WWE had been bringing up in their investors call and last week said that they expected to be done but was not. And adds in this press release, the long-term partnership demonstrates WWE and GEA's commitment to bring sports entertainment to the region and support Saudi Arabia's Vision 2030. Now, I know most people, the, the surface reaction is, okay, we had an announcement in early 2018 of a 10-year deal, which would expire at the end of 2027, which is the timeline listed here. And we've been watching two events per year. It's never been outlined specifically that this deal called for two per year, but that's what the WWE has been producing. And it appears that that is now in, in that's now confirmed that they will do two per year. And I, I think as much, this is um, 
uh, a react to try and finalize this agreement. I think number one, it certainly uh, paints a picture that these two are locked at the hip and there is absolutely no fracturing of this relationship. And I think a response to the dramatic stock drop we saw last week, because that was a, a pretty disappointing earnings report and a lot of questions left as a result of that. And this is at least something to curb that. I just cannot imagine that the the morale of the talent that is coming back from this trip and this is, you know, we're talking about, is this going to be the the pressure point where talent is going to bandy together and just never go through something like this and their company is doubling down and just moving ahead and this is the news they receive in mon- on Monday. I'd be very curious how this news was received by the talent and staff that were directly affected over the past five days. Sure. Yeah. I think it, you know, it's clear that from, the, I suppose the perspective of whoever was in charge of releasing uh, an announcement like this, the concern mainly really was with the stock and to make yes. sure that the investors are, are not panicking that there's anything wrong with the Saudi Arabia deal and that every year we can rely on this big chunk of money from this country to make sure that the company is as, profitable as, as, it, as it has been and it's it's promised to be for the next 10 years um this of course you know it seems like from the company's perspective it, it we get the the impression that there's nothing they did wrong and that anything that the talent might have suffered was simply the result of something that went wrong mechanically that they couldn't help and therefore at least publicly it doesn't seem like they have you know any reason to apologize um and if you're a talent who feels like you were caught somewhere in between for whatever reason, even if it was just mechanical failure, I wonder if there was just simply any bitterness to, first of all, that statement that, you know, the talent who really wanted to get out of there paid for their own flight to get out of there. Um, that was insulting. And I think that in itself maybe you know, it, an apology is owed to the rest of the roster if it hasn't already been given for in, that insinuation publicly. Um, but then if you, if you are to believe any of the other speculation or any of the other conspiracy theories about exactly what went on, that type of secrecy, I'm sure is, is really maddening to not, not know, especially if you're caught in between. What do you feel when we, you know, it'll be next spring that they return there. What is like, obviously this is going to, the the emotion is at a high. Mm. Does this sustain? Do you expect uh, a lot, a little, none in terms of numbers of people that are going to join uh, others who have stated they don't want to go to these shows. Do you expect that number to increase come next spring? To increase, um, maybe marginally. You know, uh, I think much of that will depend on where somebody is on the roster, how high they are, how much, um, how much they feel they can get away with something like that. Uh, for the most part, I feel most most will return. Uh, I think most could use the payday most don't politically have the ability to say to turn down a a role especially if you're somebody coming up just looking for a push period i don't think you really have you feel like you have that power to say no so i think it'll be marginal if if it gets affected at all the number of people that go yeah um you know and and that's where we're, we're left with you know several questions um i i have asked about the the delay on on NBC action. I've not heard back. Um, and I also reached out to air Atlas, which is the the charter flight that WWE had issued that statement with. 
and and Air Atlas had put out a statement, um, but I've not heard back either there about any more specifics about the mechanical issues and uh, anything beyond that. So, you know, for uh, for many, it just seems like there are still a lot of unanswered questions, and you just wonder that for these these performers that you know the the union talk once again kind of came out of this discussion and it's just the the latest example and you just wonder like if you had um representation uh would any of this be happening or would there be uh more more pressure to have to answer for this and putting talent in a it potentially uh, pre- uh problematic situation such mm-hmm. as this and just Essentially, what comes out of today is that, no, we're going full steam ahead with this partnership. You will go. You will do these shows. And there is no collective bargaining here. And you are – whatever we we generate from this deal, it is to our discretion how we pay it out to our performers. It is not like this is a revenue-sharing deal for our talent either. It's Mm – I mean to me, it just kind of puts under a microscope like the – the lack of representation that talent has when it comes to deals like this, to the television deals that come in and, you know, something like this where, you know, they, they are stranded for this period of time and they end up uh, in a situation like this. You have to wonder. um, And I think it ultimately, it comes down to the talent to kind of rally together and say, Hey, we need to get this story out or we need to be, um, persuasive in numbers here and not just simply go back to, well, 95% of everyone here is going to go back to doing these shows and it's going to be business as usual in two weeks. We forget about this and, and it's right back to normal. And that's typically what happens. Not, you know, not just the talent, but, but specifically the top talent. And I just, but when you even say top talent, what does that mean in 2019? How many people really within this company, if they left, would make that big of a dent. We saw on Friday, like that was a show made of non-stars. If you, you know, consider like a, a, if anybody on that show was a mainstream star, you had nobody who was a mainstream star. And that show did just as good, actually did better than the, the SmackDown two weeks ago. So I don't know if there's really anybody who has that amount of leverage that would be able to get something like this started. To me, it's just such a huge mountain to climb that I, I, I personally don't really see that happening based off of this. Uh, it's, it's unfortunate, but you're right. Like, it's just, um, it's, it's something that it's, that you, you see these examples, but ultimately it's, it's on to the next event and on to the next show. And will, will this be a story in two weeks is a question. <laughs> That's a great question. Um, I have a feeling there's going to be something else to talk about in two weeks, but you know, I just I, I feel like this particular story is going to how how are we going to find information really? Because the people that know it all, I don't think are are very likely to talk about it. And beyond that, um, I'm just not so much so sure how many more facts we can really get. Out of it. It's going to take you know people investigating into it, and ultimately, it's going to take those that were there with firsthand knowledge uh, speaking about this. And you know, like that's it's you know it's it's such a kind of issue that you know it you go back to that that mentality of just well protect the business and we we move on and 
not wanting to um, kind of ask questions. And that's mm-hmm. where I feel this is just going into. And this will just become a story that everyone moves on from and then it'll be on to another controversy. But it was it was strange because when that event finished on Thursday, it kind of felt like, all right, this was one where it was like it was certainly the best of these four shows they've done in Saudi Arabia and seemed like it was going to be the one that was going to receive the least criticism other than like the requisite criticism these shows receive uh, coming out of it. And then this drops and it becomes, um, you know, last year's was such a a different set of circumstances right after the Jamal Khashoggi murder. Uh, but this one, it was a story directly affecting the, the talent in such a way yeah. that uh, I, I think that there's, yeah. I, I think for some fans, you can, you can separate yourself from uh, uh you know, a horrific story like Jamal Khashoggi in this, it's like you are seeing, you know, these performers were at the very least uh, significantly delayed and kept away from their families for, uh, you know, a significant period of time. And there was a direct impact here on the talent and circumstances of which are unknown. Yes, the talent, but especially the talent's families, who I think were probably just, you know, very concerned um, just with the knowledge that their their family members were delayed in in a country like Saudi Arabia, and let's you know let's not ignore the fact that this is only a story because this group of people were delayed in a country that is controlled by a government of human rights abusers and murderers. If this was a delay that was twenty four hours in I don't know, uh, I don't know Spain, uh, you would not get any of this, but because WWE has chosen to partner with Saudi Arabia to do these shows. You're going to get fears attached to stories that might be completely innocuous like this. And, you know, it's it's just something it's just the price you pay for for doing business with with uh with this these people. Yeah. And you know, while while I I don't agree with kind of you know where it seemed like like the tone was in this uh in the speech at the the talent meeting, I mean, I I think it should be applauded for the ones that were willing to be very vocal about this because I I don't know if this story necessarily gets the level of attention if you're not hearing directly from the people involved that are confirming you know that there is an issue here. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I, I don't know how much more to say about this. I, I don't know if this uh, ends and a, a big focus is going to be what kind of media attention this receives in the, in the coming days um, at, at a more mainstream level as well, beyond just uh, wrestling media that I, I think has been covering this pretty thorough over the last couple of days since Thursday. So um, 205 Live is going to be from full sale this week, way. Right? <laughs> how weird. <laughs> Um, imagine if like the Bobby Lashley divorce thing took place this week, trying to jump like between subjects like that. Damn. Yes. <laughs> 205 Live is going to be broadcast from full sale. Um, but just yeah, so it, yeah, because they're going to, SmackDown's going to be in the UK. So <laughs> it sounds like they're going to tape 205 Live on Wednesday, I would imagine, um, with NXT and then air it Friday night. And I mean, it should be a much more positive atmosphere for 205 Live, and you're going to do, you know, you figure three hours at full sale on Wednesday. 
Absolutely. I think it'd be a good test to see, you know, we've always talked about, oh, what would these matches look like under full sail? I think that would be a great test. And do, do you mean, see this as a one-off or do you see this as a test? I mean, I very much see it as a test. Like if this turns out that much better, I could see them permanently maybe trying to make the space for it. Obviously, you know, there are a lot more logistics involved than simply just whether or not it sounds good. Like mm-hmm. you have that Friday spot open because you you have the camera crews there. You have, you know, um, that space that you want to create content with. Um, but if it's that much noticeably better, I could certainly imagine that they would entertain those discussions that much more. And uh just want to add one more uh, news item here because I know we've gone pretty uh, lengthy, but um Nick Jackson was asked about the potential of AEW and New Japan, and he wrote, It's really not happening. Been asked this thousands of times, and telling the truth is always best. Don't want fans holding on to something that has zero chance of happening. And he went on to state that when they that they gave New Japan four to six months notice to plan without them and contrasted that to uh, he he stated AJ Styles, Carl Anderson, and Luke Gallows, who told New Japan the night before. Uh, I'm presuming this means the night before uh, Wrestle Kingdom in 2016, which was uh, AJ's, I guess, second to final night because he did the angle at New Year's Dash where he got beaten down by Omega and company. And then Anderson and Gallows continued into February. But um, some interesting details there. But I think also, you know, I, I think most take Nick Jackson as – being honest here, the fact that there are, at least as of now, no plans. I don't know if you completely shut the door forever, but if you think that the Kota Bushi uh, video was any indication or a hint of something, it seems they're absolutely squashing that, so people do not expect that. Obviously, anything could change in the future, but I I, I mean, I, I would certainly believe Nick Jackson. He's not somebody known to be a bullshitter at all. Uh, and I think he has a lot to lose if he, you know, it turns out he's working this crowd, which which I don't think he is. So, I mean, let's take it for face value. It's not happening right now. So, uh, nope. does that yeah. change your opinion of like the video last week and, and doing that? I mean, you know, Kenny's kind of come out to talk about how he just he always just likes to do what he what entertains him, what what he finds amusing. I personally didn't really look into it a, a bit more than, you know, just like telling Kenny Omega's greater story, whether it be AEW or not. And that just happened to involve Kota Ibushi. All right. Uh, you can go to postwrestling.com. Uh, we've gone lengthy here on news. So it's time to get into raw from Monday night at the Nassau Coliseum on Long Island, New York. Yes. He Taz tonight. He, he made everyone aware it's on Long Island. Gotcha. Cool. Several vehicles pull up. Paul Levesque gets out of one of them and you're led to believe that he has not come alone to Raw. Brock Lesnar and Paul Heyman come out to start the show. Of the labels he gives Lesnar, he calls him the ultimate champion in UFC and reiterates that Lesnar has quit SmackDown and come here to Raw to hunt down Rey Mysterio. And he says a few weeks ago, Raw traded Nikki Cross and Alexa Bliss for future considerations. And he kind of comes up short here. He doesn't fully say that Lesnar is the future considerations. But is that how you took it to be? Yeah. Otherwise, why would he announce it? What a uh, but. But then he goes on to kind of state that you know this isn't a trade. He's got a no cut contract. He can't be fired, and his contract has been assigned to Raw. And it doesn't mean others can quit because Lesnar's different. He's got leverage. He's special, and he's entitled to do whatever he wants 
Lesnar is better than all of you. So all these other guys, Reigns, Rollins, they have no leverage. In the world of the WWE, like I could buy that, you know, it's, it's, and certainly like the way that Brock Lesnar just comes and goes as he pleases, despite being champion, gives you the impression that, you know, like under the, the advisement of Paul Heyman, he has special privileges that he abuses. Like to me, I buy the explanation. Um, I guess, like, I wonder if when they traded Nikki and Alexa, whether or not this was in the works. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Was this always the plan? Nikki and Alexa Bliss for Brock Lesnar. Um, well, it's again, they like they didn't fully state it, but I mean, it was brought up. So, I mean, you're kind of led to believe that. Um, uh, but there you go. Um, Lesnar on Raw. I you then, know, I thought Heyman delivered it so well that like I didn't even really question it. Like he, I think. He, I mean, they they were trying their best here. Like yeah. they just wanted to get Lesnar onto Raw and try and make sense of it, even though it's it, it took a lot of explanation here from Heyman, and I I, I think people were just kind of okay. We get it. These trades, like in this draft, have been so, I guess, awkwardly put together that I I don't even know if they can really keep track of exactly what's happening. Um. And I think Lesnar or Heyman in this promo had to kind of address a lot of those criticisms. Why can Brock Lesnar demand the jump, but other people can't? What happened with Nikki and Alexa Bliss? For, and, and what were those future considerations? I think he this was an attempt to tie all of those loose ends up. And I, I, I respect it enough. And I thought, thought it was delivered well that, all right, I buy it. Do you think this could have been handled a bit better in the way of having... Instead of drafting Bray Wyatt to SmackDown, that he stays on Raw to feud with Rollins... All month into mm. this. Trade. And then you could have flipped the champions in. I think that would have been a more logical way to to switch the champions. And you go one for one rather than having this momentary double champion situation on SmackDown. Yeah, I'm sure that would be. I mean, I'm sure there, there'd be. A it just lo- seems a lot more ways. clean to, to do it that way. Which makes me wonder if this was always in the works. You know, was, was Lesnar always meant to go back to Raw? Uh from my understanding, it was it was decided a few weeks ago that he was going to be going to Raw. So before the draft or after? After the draft, right? So they, so then, you know, they wouldn't have been able to do that because they didn't know that they wanted Lesnar on Raw. Uh, yeah, no, that's a great point. Yeah, so if they had decided afterwards, um, yeah, no, that's a great point. So he then says. He is better than the bitches in the back. This is Heyman saying this about the locker room. And he asked where Ray is and then mocks the people of Long Island doing an accent and said, someone is going to Sammy Gravano, Ray Mysterio, as in rat him out because uh, Sammy Gravano is one of the people associated with bringing down John Gotti. Oh, wow. Cool. And then uh, a Heyman uh, standby. He did the last rites. Yes, yes. He did. He do multiple languages then on the show, or did he do the do the last rites in Spanish? Uh, I thought this was in Latin. Oh, but okay. I never took Latin, so don't hold me. Well, he definitely spoke some Spanish here. I didn't know he spoke that much as much Spanish as he did because he's been incorporating it into like all of these promos. With well, he also spoke Spanish afterwards, but I think the last rites were in Latin. So wow. he had he multilingual had many... Paul Heyman here. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So from there, we. Uh, we cut backstage after the break and Heyman is yelling for Ray and Lesnar starts attacking crew members. And he took this one guy and just beat his head into the table. 
And then Lesnar yells, Ray Ray, <laughs> as we cut to break, uh, all-time great Brock Lesnar clip to isolate. And I don't doubt for a second that he's he knows exactly what he's doing. Like, I think he's there to as much entertain us as, as he is to entertain himself and to make himself a meme. Like, where do you think Suplex City came from? It's just like... Oh, I think that that's... I think that was the start kicker. of him realizing, like, these <laughs> these moments he can have of just yelling crazy shit and it'll hopefully take off. Even if he does 10 of them and two take off, it's like, that's a few t-shirts. He is so ridiculously entertaining, just yelling anything at the top of his lungs and bashing random human beings' uh, heads in, onto tables. Imagine if you're the that intern or whatever, like the extra that had his head slammed on the table by Brock Lesnar, how popular you must be. Like that would be your profile picture for, for eternity, I imagine. So then Brock continued his search for Ray and he got directed to the cars and he proceeded to break a door off and yanked some guy out of the car and just left him to die. <laughs> yes. Yes. May he rest in peace. Uh, very entertaining as always. When Brock just goes crazy like this. Brock versus cars, usually fun. Yeah. Except when a door is thrown in a direction. But this was a safe breaking of a door. Yeah. Yeah. The Kabuki Warriors against Charlotte Flair and Natalia. Uh, we got uh, we got a new one here. We had a picture in picture so that they could show highlights of Paige taking the mist last week and said that she needed to see an eye specialist after having trouble seeing all week. Well, um, okay. Good attention to detail, I suppose. Um, okay. Maybe she needs to contact Will Osprey or Bushi for some tips. Right, right. So it's a lot more serious than... Do you think that Paige is still attached to the storyline? Do you think it's it's to suggest that she will uh, bring somebody back to, I guess, uh, you know, face the Kabuki Warriors? I can see that happening. Uh, the fact that they brought it up this week uh, tells you they want you to remember this as opposed to just a one-off just to cement the Kabuki Warriors as heels. So, yeah, maybe Paige can bring in uh, somebody new, whether it be a, a tag team act or someone new or even be paired with someone already on the roster. I I hope they can find some role for Paige. Mm-hmm. Um, so, anyway, this this went really long. Um, Charlotte did a moonsault onto both women uh, where she lined them up together, and when she came down, I mean, you can't really moonsault two people without a very tiny margin for error. So she just totally overshot Sane to land on Oscar, and then uh, threw Oscar out, who then made the save as she went for the cover on Sane. Tag is made to Natalia. She goes for the sharpshooter. Oscar tr- transitions to an armbar, then to the triangle. Natalia just stands up and escapes the triangle. This was this was great uh, submission escape, and then applied the sharpshooter. Sane broke it up with a code breaker. Flair then speared Sane. Oscalock gets countered back to the sharpshooter, and she taps out. Eighteen minutes and six seconds as Charlotte and Natalia win their second match in a row. The announcers note: I really like the finish. I really like the the sharpshooter transitions to the armbar and then to the triangle and then back to the sharpshooter. I thought it was really a nice submission sequence. Most of the match, however, I I just didn't really enjoy. I didn't find you know much much flow or story to be told here. Uh, maybe it was the commercial breaks that 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 caused it. Maybe it was just the lack of energy in this crowd. But I, I didn't find myself very engaged. Um, but the booking, I mean, it, you know, very logical. Sure. From there, we 
continue on and Paul Heyman comes out along with Brock Lesnar and demands that the announcers tell them where Ray is and threatens to unleash Lesnar on Lawler because this time no one will resuscitate him when he dies on the air again. Yeah. 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 I mean, they're we're going to kill you. They're kind of using that heart heart attack thing for for all it's worth. It's kind of like one of the thing he things, the easiest ways to get heat on Jerry Lawler now. Yep, and Lawler just kind of uh, stood there and was like, "Well, that that wouldn't be good." So then Dio Madden steps up to Lesnar, and Lesnar proceeds to put him through the table with an F five, and then Ray shows up with what looked to be like a like a T ball bat. And just went to town on Lesnar, attacking him in the knees, and then hit him with a belt shot, and laid out Brock, who had to limp his way to the back. And my God, was Brock's limping just tremendous? I mean, yeah, I wonder, um, is a t-ball bat, like, I don't know, lighter than an actual... Obviously, it's lighter than an actual bat, but... um... It could could this not have it looked been a, like a tiny little like plastic bat? That's what it looked like. I mean, I, yeah, I guess I wonder if it was the same bat that Ray had in the promo afterwards. Because when Ray threw it down, you heard the clanking as if it was like a real metal bat. So um, I, I guess I'm just wondering how 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 much I, that was actually selling versus you know maybe it actually did hurt him. But I thought this was all really nicely done. I loved seeing Dio Madden get physical. It was the first time we've seen him in, in a role like this. It was big enough to distract you from even thinking about Ray appearing. It also, I think, you know, lets the audience have some impression of who Dio Madden is. Right now, this commentary team outside of Jerry Lawler, uh, we really know nothing about. And that includes both Vic and Dio Madden. So getting him involved in an angle here makes him a bit more likable and I think a bit more recognizable as one of the hosts of your show. Ray's attack was really quick, really intense, very believable. They're giving him a lot of weapons for him to make up to his uh, make up for his size. It's cool. It makes sense overall. I thought really good segment. Uh, it was good. I mean, um, it's building up the match. This is um, Ray's been great in this angle. I will say, like, what an afterthought Cain Velasquez feels like. Well, he's not going to be back for a while, it seems, and so. I, I think yeah. it requires an explanation. Like he gets tapped out and he disappears. No explanation. Mm-hmm. There's no injury angle attributed to it. Like they don't bring up any of that. I thought what we were going to get here was some appearance by Kane on this show, but there was nothing. And they, it was mentioned, I think, once that Brock avenged his loss from nine years ago. And that was it. Like Kane just is gone. So. I mean, maybe he's going to disappear and they're going to start from scratch of uh, building him up for a return down the road. But um, I I just thought for this was the guy who was going into the title match last week and just is out of sight, out of mind. And we're on to the next uh, program for Brock, which, you know, for many, it's uh, it was the intriguing part of this because it's been Ray that's had the issue with Brock and you're going to get to that match. I don't know if they really ultimately saw that much value in Cain Velasquez outside of, you know, maybe uh, a few headlining matches with Brock, but in particular, making sure that this Crown Jewel show felt somewhat special with the addition of a real-life, you know, MMA fighter attached to it with Brock Lesnar. I also don't know how much the audience really gravitated towards that real-life MMA story. Um, Certainly, I don't get the sense that anybody here was missing the presence of Cain Velasquez. 
I, I think wrestling audiences are way more in, interested in seeing Rey Mysterio. I mean, you know, this whole story was built around Rey Mysterio anyway. This, to me, feels like a much more engaging focus than what Brock and Kane had. The problem is you, it's like this was not Kane coming in like Tyson Fury. It's like you've committed to this guy long term. and mm. But he's also very limited, di- though. He can't talk. And right now, we don't know the status of his knee injury. Um, is it worth even having him come out to say something when, I mean, you have no immediate plans of using him? Well, you got to use him at some point. I mean, it's, uh, well, then you you can come back and talk then, but is it worth reminding the audience about him right now? Yeah, I, I guess not. Like it's just, uh, he's just kind of been dropped cold for, for the time being. Um, and he also doesn't have a brand either. So maybe he's not allowed on raw. <laughs> Maybe he's going to be in NXT. Yeah, they could sure. they could actually use him on NXT. To be honest, uh, yes, no doubt. I don't know if they'd be putting that big of an investment on NXT, but at least, uh, well, I, I mean, it's a, the guy needs reps. The guy needs to be, you know, he's they've they put so much into him, but uh, wouldn't it wouldn't be the worst idea of just building him from scratch? And this is almost like the uh, this is uh, like a good storyline in one of the video games where he's got to go to the PC and then work his way up. I think they, you know, now that, I mean, if he is going to be away for a while, I, I, I think they should really take their time with him, make sure that his promos are getting better, his in-ring can be up to a certain standard before you re-debut him, because you only have so many chances of re-debuting the guy, and let's be honest, he hasn't really made a great impression this first run, so I would really, like, even if they have to take a year, I think it's it's worthwhile. And put the mask on him. The mask, yes, that'll make all the difference. So Ray cuts this spirited promo, looking right into the camera. He said, Lesnar, attack my son. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, and you fight fire with fire. Lesnar came after what's most important to him, so he's coming after what's most important to Lesnar. The WWE Championship, and at Survivor Series, will you be man enough to come after me? And this is a great promo from Ray, mm-hmm. and the match was announced later in the show, so... Uh, despite the theme of Survivor Series, uh, this was your theory, Way, and you were correct. It's Lesnar and Ray, uh, unless they do something uh, to alter this match, but I would not advise that. This is a clear singles program. I would not want to muddy it with anything else, so it looks like we're going to get this. It, it it also makes you wonder, you know, what, what happens with the, the Fiend and also Adam, Adam Cole coming out of this. I mean, mm-hmm. the potential match of a Brock Lesnar versus the Fiend versus Adam Cole, I just... I don't think that would benefit anybody. Uh, certainly, no, one I, I didn't want to see that. Certainly, somebody had to lose, and I don't know if you had anybody in that match that could afford a loss. I mean, it would have been Adam Cole, obviously, but I, I don't. I I really think that would have been detrimental. So I'd I'd much rather this. You know, they can go through with putting Adam Cole in like an undisputed era four way against some some other team or something. They could even put the leave the fiend completely out of this show, and I don't know how many people would would be that upset about it. Um, but mm, I, I think he's got to be on there somewhere. I, I don't know where he fits. Okay, um, sure. But I mean, he, he, I think I would be happy. Maybe wait. Maybe we revisit eleven nineteen. Oh, is that what is it? What, Remember that? Yeah, of course. But what's the date? What is it? Uh, what's the day of the week? It's a Tuesday. Well, it's eleven uh, nineteen is uh, a Tuesday. It's it is the Tuesday before Survivor Series. But I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like I don't know if that was meant to be anything. Um, but 
you know, I think the focus of, of Ray and Brock is good. It's it's a like all I really want from the fiend is an appearance. Like he can appear at the end of the show, attack somebody, and that's it. I don't know if I want a whole feed match at this point. We've seen what those look like. I I could do without it. Um, but I'm glad Ray is in this role uh, because he he continues to impress me so much with how good he's gotten on the microphone in the years since he's been away. And since he's been back to with the WWE, it's just been like, you know, that veteran like tries really hard, but always loses type of role. When we know from seeing his work outside of the WWE, that the man is capable of so much more. So I'm really glad that he's getting the spotlight right now to, you know, under whatever circumstances that led him here, even if it was he wasn't originally meant to be in this role. I'm glad he's getting the chance right now. Uh, they mentioned that WWE Backstage debuts Tuesday night, and Shawn Michaels is the big guest. Wait a second, 11-19. Tuesday. Oh, there you go. So The Fiend and The Undertaker blow this thing off with a panel discussion where they have to do math with Christian. <laughs> That's right, yes. That's where you're Maybe they'll get. do a rap video with Renee. Yeah, perfect. You have your Tuesday night uh, yeah. option. CM Punk will show up. Yeah, it'll be huge. So had they not, like they 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 had previously announced John Cena and Rob Gronkowski would be on this this episode, but I don't think they were ever mentioned here. I don't. They I just don't mentioned Shawn Michaels, and Renee had kind of teased like a big announcement, which Shawn Michaels does not sound like what? the the big get. Was that not originally supposed to be the Brock Lesnar thing? Moving to Raw? Um, well, that was, yeah, that was uh, something that, that Dave Meltzer had noted, that initially the announcement of Lesnar going to Raw was going to be made on backstage, which they moved up to Friday. So that must have been what they were alluding to. And the next best thing is Shawn Michaels. I mean, uh, yeah, who knows what, he, what Shawn has to announce? I mean, you, you could have a hell of a debut of backstage this week of all weeks. Uh, that is true. Yeah. Uh, something tells me they won't really get there. I mean, same with the Corey Graves podcast. I mean, shit. If oh, they're... I'm. See, Corey Graves has to talk about it, but I think it's it's going to be the um. Yeah. Very. Uh, it'll be the cor- you know, corporate. I, I, it'll be the corporate line, of course. At the very least, even if they do do mention it. So. Yep. Uh, so Buddy Murphy took on Cedric Alexander. Lawler was concerned about Dio Madden, but him and Vic got over it pretty quick. And we never heard from Dio Madden again tonight. Hopefully he's okay. Uh, Murphy uh, distracts the referee, tosses Cedric into the corner. He's working over Cedric's arm. They were wrestling to silence here. Uh, springboard gets caught. Murphy's Law is countered, but with a Michinoku driver by Cedric and then a handspring into the Neuralizer with the flying knee into the back. And then Buddy hits Murphy's Law to win in 536. You know, felt like your classic 205 live match on Raw. Like, very good match as you'd expect, but a very cold. And, and, and they got a 205 live crowd. Exactly. They felt right at home. Very cold crowd who didn't really give a shit about the outcome of the match. And I mean, I don't really blame Long Island for this one because there were. There was there's zero story attached to this. At this point, you know, you haven't really communicated who Buddy Murphy or Cedric Alexander really are. So it's just no promo time for this. So it's just like two generic wrestlers who with no character who can wrestle really well, but that's not enough clearly to engage a WWE main roster crowd. An even worse way is that they've painted them as kind of having their brush with a push and had it 
pulled out from under them mm-hmm. with Murphy's win over Daniel Bryan, Cedric, you know, teasing that that issue with AJ, but ultimately just getting beat at every turn and then just being discarded and moved on from. I mean, so buddy, they both kind, buddy, kind of feel like they've. Oh, I was going to say Buddy yeah, Murphy the same, but on on SmackDown. Yeah, like they're just they just feel like like two guys that have. Um, you know, they've just well, moved on from. I mean, we or do. At least we do. Buddy Murphy, it's still kind of the jury's out. But Cedric yeah. just feels like he's he had his time, and now he's just a guy. You know, everybody. I think not everybody can be pushed at the same time. I understand that. Um, maybe we'll give them the benefit of the doubt and just say that this was just a chance to, for them to get on TV. But they, I, I would say they hard, either of them really made didn't make much of an impression. Seth Rollins walked out all in black. And he's getting booze, and Jerry Lawler starts to imagine what Universal Champion The Fiend will be like having to go do hospital appearances for kids. <laughs> oh, jeez. Wow. Those are the videos I want to see airing during SmackDown. Rollins says it's been a rough couple of months. He hears the fans, and... He knows that plenty of them were thrilled that he lost to The Fiend, and that got a lot of cheers. Well, Seth doesn't give a damn. He said he's concerned with The Fiend going to SmackDown, Lesnar's back on Raw, on top, and everything I did over the past year to get the title, to give opportunities for everyone. It's all gone, and we're starting off from scratch. <laughs> what, a, what a picture this guy painted. Sign us up. The whole last year didn't matter. We're right back to the beginning. And then this one was for you, Way. He says, like, like, like a normal human being that would just utter these words as he's contemplating his future. You know, guys, I know my thing is redesign, rebuild, and reclaim, but I don't know if I have the energy for it this time. And I don't know what's next. That's also my thing, too, Way. I always am saying that out loud. You know, I uh, I always redesign, rebuild, and reclaim. Oh, yeah, what a line! I I do like Levec- I do like how like he addressed the criticisms and I think you know showed the audience that he's very much aware of how the audience sees him right now and he's not afraid to admit it. I think him saying that he doesn't give a damn is is the type of Seth Rollins I want. The type of Seth Rollins who is not trying to pander to an audience, but the Seth, type of Seth Rollins who, you know, just like. Doesn't really give a shit what you think. I think ultimately that'll endear him more to to the crowd. Paul Levesque comes out. There's NXT chants. He talks about how Finn Balor just uh, went to his past for his future. And how Seth put NXT on the map. And he says all these times when he's been at a crossroads in his career, he's come to Hunter and better things have happened. He came to him. Then he became NXT champion. Then he joined the Shield. Then he became WWE champion. And Rollins asks, did that benefit me or you? And Hunter says, it doesn't matter. You became a champion. And he says that NXT made a statement last week. Rollins points out that the roster was gone last week. They made a point at every turn when recapping SmackDown to note that the roster was gone. And you were you were left with the uh, the unwanted on SmackDown. Yeah, I mean, I I didn't think it was that insinuation so much as like the you know the people who who didn't go because of reasons, whether it be their gender or maybe moral compass. But that's 
that's I guess with my own knowledge. Yeah, like the moral authority was uh was was left there. Yeah, but I don't know how this. I mean, it's it's still it was uh, you know, Daniel Bryan in your main event. I mean, what's his excuse for for losing? To, it was to, just he, he, I I think that it was more an excuse for the invasion rather than an insult towards Daniel Bryan. I mean, it was it was like an underpowered full full staff that ended up you know not being able to defend the ring at the end of the show. I don't think it was any particular insult at, at any single talent. At least that's not how. I if you re- if you remember though. I think in every case, it was always like even numbers, like one person confronting one or when Rhea Ripley came out with Tegan Knox, it was like two on two. In fact, when they were backstage, Bianca True. was outnumbered and took out Carmella and whoever she was with. Right. There were two of them back there. So like there was never a case where it was like the numbers advantage for NXT. It's just they all came out at the end to celebrate. Right. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But how many people are thinking about it that that deeply? Me. That's <laughs> it. So Hunter is trying to make the pitch for Rollins to join NXT. And he says, you're either with us or against us. And with that, the Undisputed Era circle and get up onto the apron. And then the OC walk out. And the Undisputed Era just retreat through the crowd as... Dominic Dijakovic and Damian Priest jumped the OC from behind when the Raw roster runs out comprised of Kurt Hawkins, Zack Ryder, R-Truth, and Eric Rowan to chase off NXT, and everyone leaves Seth Rollins. No one attacks him. I mean, I was certainly concerned, too, when I saw the Undisputed Era run away from the OC, but I, you know, that was ultimately revealed just to be a ploy so that um, they could distract them from Dijak and Priest attacking, which I thought made them look smart. You know, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not so upset that like the 24/7 roster managed to chase them away, but all, you know, because ultimately it was more so about the numbers rather than who who composed of those numbers. Rollins then confronts Hunter in the back. He says a fire has been lit under him. But he's not going to go to NXT as a former champion. He's going as a top guy. He's better than Daniel Bryan and wants to face Adam Cole tonight for the NXT title. And Hunter accepts. So like in the segment, which I thought was really excellent. I thought Hunter was was fantastic at like, you know, recapping, like really basically kind of playing like a manipulator to Seth Rollins, which is really the role he's had throughout Seth Rollins entire career. And this was almost just like, oh, here comes like, you know dad talking talking to to son again um lining lining out sort of like how he's puppeted his entire career i thought this was like a really nice attempt of hunter to try to one more time recruit seth rollins to do his own bidding and the segment was fine so but it left you with like the feeling of you know you not knowing whether or not seth was was going to be a part of raw or nxt and that continued to linger throughout the rest of the show ultimately not being resolved and I don't like what's what's your sense, Sean? Do you think that's a story that they're going to continue, or was it just something they introduced for this segment? I feel it was something they just introduced here, but I thought they really missed a cool story because at the beginning of this promo, Seth explained how he doesn't know how to react because the fiend is now on SmackDown, and when he challenges Adam Cole, there's the easy story that. 
this is your key to getting the fiend at survivor series because the raw champion is already booked. So we need a championship match, but you can only get the fiend if you win this NXT title. And I think they could have teased that. Like that's your road to the fiend is through this title. Don't mind it. But I also don't really like, you know, the NXT title just kind of being treated as like a, I don't know, like a ticket, you know, your ticket to, the fiend, like an ex, just a, a supplementary accessory to the bigger prize, which is the WWE title and, and the fiend. I, I think you can, you don't have to necessarily do make, you can do both. I think, I think you can still make this NXT title um, of value. It's something that Seth is going after, but it comes with the addition of the fact that you could get this match with, with the fiend that, they they could have at least even if you're not going to do it something that you could have teased on this show. They really should have put out a poll online and asked the fans yes. whether or not they want that match. Andrade and Zelina Vega came out, and Zelina said that uh, she referred to uh, Carolina as butt ugly. Is it Carolina or Catalina this week? Okay, so. They did this again this week. So her graphic read Carolina. She was announced as Carolina. But then Vic Joseph continued to call her (laughs) Catalina. But this was a late addition I got in my DMs tonight from uh, somebody who said, this is, I'm just going to read this, okay? And I don't even know if this is legit. So Vic is pronouncing Catalina on Raw tonight. But that is because he is doing the proper Spanish pronunciation. He is rolling his R's. And this person adds, I know this because I live in Texas. All right. Got it. So it's like Carolina or something like that. Um, Yes. Well, I could see the confusion for whoever was. I don't know. Fuck. Uh, Okay. Sure. So it's. Care, it's spelled Carolina. Yes. All right. Now, now Vic is not doing that. Wouldn't, wouldn't you be rolling the R in Sin Cara as well? Should it be Sin Cara? Great question. Um, fuck, I don't know, dude. I really don't know. The, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think of, uh, where we're coming up on the, uh, the Sertaita Setis. I'm trying to do the Survivor Series oh my with, God. with this this rolling. So I'm very confused by all of this. But nonetheless, it's driving me nuts. And it's very un-WWE-like to have such different uh, – like their their naming conventions are usually hammered into people's heads. And this one is a very bizarre one. What did Lawler say? What did who say? Lawler. Lawler, I don't think, ever identified her. It was only uh, – <laughs> It was only Mike Rome and Mike Rome, who was on Team Carolina or Carolina, sorry, and Vic Joseph going the other way. So that and the graphics department, who is with Mike Rome. Okay, Mike Rome was on the show. It wasn't he the announcer? Wasn't Vic Joseph the announcer? No, the in-ring announcer. Oh, the, oh, sorry, right? Yes. What am I thinking yeah. of? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, they also mentioned Tyson Fury will be on Corey Graves' podcast this week. Awesome. 
Uh, Vega tries to trip uh, Sincata, and I don't even know if she actually caught him here as he was running the ropes. Then uh, Catalina hesitated on the apron before she hit her somersault. It's like she was looking over and paused briefly. Uh, Andrade uh, hit a sunset bomb and comes off the turnbuckle. The women get tagged in. We got a attempt at a high cross from Catalina uh, that Lawler called a low cross. John, body. just say whatever you want. You don't need to like. I can't. Hesitate. I, I'm like hesitating because I got them both written in front of me. I don't even know which is the goddamn one I'm I'm planning to go with. The masked woman that needs a goddamn name. Okay, that's yeah. that's what I'm gonna call her. Then uh, Sinkara clotheslined Andrade to the floor. Vega stopped a dive. Gory special. Dive by Sinkara onto Andrade, and then Vega turns a buckle bomb into a Rana before hitting a basement Rana and pins Catalina in 724. <laughs> Felt like the end of this character by the end of this. I didn't think this was a great match, and this woman, in her first match, she loses. Uh, I think we can move on from this. I mean, it's like, you know, this poor team of, like, Sinkara and, and Carolina last week, he... Brought this okay. First, he lost to uh, uh, Andrade, so then he brings a friend to be the equalizer, and he still loses. And then this week, they have a tag team match, and they both lose. So, I don't know what this is. Like, I don't know if it's is this an attempt to like get me to want to see Sincara and Carolina win? Because this is this is how you make a baby face, it, way. It, it's not working. I can tell you that. It, it's uh, you know they you can't look at these two as anything but total geeks right now at this point. I will say I think you know for for being so so new to like um, I guess WWE TV, Carolina seems very comfortable. Uh, I thought her and Zelina did a pretty good job here. I guess I just wonder about the booking and whether or not you know this is going to be a sustained push. Yeah, it, it didn't feel like it watching this. So what is it? Just like um, a two-week, three-week thing for Andrade to keep Andrade busy? It just seems like Sin Cara just feels like he was a several-week push, and he's going to be right back where he started at the end of this. And the only question is if uh, Carolina sticks around with him or not, because it's kind of just... Uh, I don't know how much you do with these two outside of, you know, these matches with Andrade and, and Vega. And I didn't think the match was all that hot to begin with that you have to revisit this. Right. Rusev, he's in the ring. If you notice, he's got his name written on his trunks in the Hulkamania font. Yeah, these, these were Catch. probably his Team Hogan shorts. I guess so. Yeah, he's just going to run with them. He says, tonight is the night to end all this stupid drama but he's not here to bicker with his soon-to-be ex-wife or call her names, which he could do. He is here for Bob Lashley. And he says, Lana is all yours, but your ass is mine. Come on, Bob. And Bob comes out with crutches. And he's with Lana. He says he's not medically cleared because he tore his groin. But he didn't tear it at Crown Jewel or at training, he, and he, I don't know what came out of his mouth here, but it did not sound like tear my groin. It's like he really struggled with this pronunciation. And he said he tore it doing things that Rusev could only fantasize about. Yes. Yes. He he broke his groin having sex. 
that's the that would be the insinuation. Yeah. Um, there was definitely a play on words to be had with Crown Jewel and this. Oh yes, that's right. Yes. I I have nothing to add, dude. This no no deep analysis, no, nothing of that nature. Not you know, no none none no mental energy. I care to invest into this. Lana then announced that someone has volunteered to fight him, and that this person is going to kick your ass. And out came Drew McIntyre. Why he's helping these two, I have no idea. But we got a nine and a half minute match between these two. God bless these two, but it just, it was nine minutes and 40 seconds of wrestling and no one cared. There was a light Rusev Day chant as he set up for a Machka kick, missed that. They go to the floor, McIntyre goes into the steps and then Bob is magically healed and he attacks Rusev from behind with his crutch and the DQ is called at 940. It was comical. The second this bell rung, McIntyre just turned around and exited. He was out of there. Oh, he roots a brief. He just said, fuck this. And he left. And I don't blame the guy because this was the exact same situation that happened with Drew two weeks ago when Orton out of nowhere just came out and interrupted his match, you know, presumably causing another DQ loss for him. So it's just like week after week now of Drew wrestling these matches and having his his fucking teammates like from Team Flair just interrupt them and, you know, making him just sort of like the the complete afterthought. So, man, they're just... (laughs) He's being treated to like such a no- nobody in all of these things. But despite him taking up all this airtime in in ring, he's not been a part of any storyline. He's just there to fill time before the actual story gets going. You could say he is sick and McIntyred. You can say all that. This. You can say that. I, I did say that. Randy shows up. RKO'd out of nowhere to Rusev for the second week in a row. Orton gets the biggest pop on the show as the heel attacking the babyface. And then Ricochet comes out to help. He avoids the RKO, hits an Inziguri, and then a baseball slide drop kick as Lashley knocks down Lana to end the segment. Yeah, so it seems like they're continuing some of these relationships from the crowd and jewel teams. Uh, but I thought the match really dragged. You know, it seemed yep. also to me an indication that. Uh, with all this airtime they they've devote, devoted to this Rusev thing, I mean the end result here is just a reaction that is still lacking for these matches. Yeah, it's just uh, I don't know if tonight's indicative, but it was just you know it was it just brought down everything, and this one certainly felt it. Like I can't say there was anything horrible about the match, but it was just it was there, and then you got a DQ finish at the end of it, so you just didn't feel like you got anything out of this. The Washington Nationals won the World Series this year, so that means they all got uh, WWE replica titles. So congrats. Like, why, why couldn't you just have Rusev win this match? Can't beat Drew. Then put him against somebody who could beat. I mean, shit, like, this dude already has his his wife, like, you know, making out with this dude. This dude just tours Gordon having sex with his wife. You gotta give him something. You can't even give him a clean win on TV. No, no, he's uh, can't he just can't get any happiness in his life? Not even a a lousy victory on TV. Yeah, all right, whatever. Maybe this could have been Kurt Hawkins' role. I mean, they're just so they're so caught up with like chasing the next you know show, giving you a reason for the next thing that they just you could still do all that, but give your guy 
A win! Give your guy a celebration and then have Orton come out and RKO him. Fine. But it's just like week after week of just just a bunch of people who just you have no reason to cheer for. Charlie did a sit down with Becky Lynch and we confirmed that it's going to be Becky Lynch versus Bailey versus Shayna Baszler at the Survivor Series. Uh, do you like this match? I like it fine. You know, uh, but I think what I'm really excited about is more interaction between Bailey. Sorry, between Shayna and, and Rhonda. Oh, man, Shayna and Becky here because these two yes. were, were fucking great. Yes. So Becky says it's her favorite time of the year. Um, she said that this year she is the target because she beat Bailey's partner onto the injured list at Hell in a Cell and then Baszler's bestie at WrestleMania, referring to Ronda Rousey. Baszler then walks into the room, replaces Charlie, and says, I've been wanting to meet you. And she says, yes, I trained with Ronda Rousey. But get it right. I'm not Ronda Rousey. And while I'm not going to take my eyes off Bailey at Survivor Series, I'm going to pin you or tap you out. The only question is which of your limbs will belong to me. And Becky leans in and says, I don't know if I respect you or if I'm going to slap your head off. But says, warring with me will change you just like the rest of them. And I'm not going to take my eyes off Bailey either. But I'm coming for you directly. And you better bring your best. This promo was so good, they didn't even have to call each other bitches. Hmm. This, was the, this was the best segment on the show. Oh, without a doubt. And, and beyond that, I think of all the people that have made appearances on N- from NXT on the main roster so far. I, I mean, I feel like Shayna has, has made the best impression. I mean, outside of perhaps Cole beating Daniel Bryan. But, but on this particular episode, Shayna, to me, was, was the biggest NXT um, you know, debut, I suppose you should call on Raw. It was also... And honestly, way like, if you were to say, what would be the toughest way to present Shayna, it would be in, like, a this. scripted yeah. segment away from the crowd in one of the... Like, this could have been just very... Like, the setting is just, like, a weird setting to do this in, as opposed to in front of a hot crowd or something. But I, I, I thought these two were great. On the one hand, I think a setting like this maybe allows for a bit more intimate coaching, maybe even some editing. But I don't even know if anything, if if much of it w- was really needed here because it seemed really organic. Uh, it was they oh, they they did have the multiple camera yeah. shots that, that that they went a little heavy on. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, it, it's also way more intimate of a setting for a performer to have to cut a promo in than let's say an audience in front of an audience, you know, with with a bunch of wide shots. Like, Shayna had to act really well here, and I thought she mm-hmm. nailed it. Like, clearly, already from the get-go, she's very much, she's better at, at, at doing stuff like this than Ronda Rousey is. She was intense and scary, and most importantly, she felt like a, like a threatening champion on the level of Becky Lynch. So I immediately equate and see her, if I'm somebody new, at the same level. I thought she was fantastic. This was good enough that I feel pretty strongly that Shayna needs to win this match at Survivor Series, and and I think she should be on Raw in the next while. I really like, want to see th- that I, match. I want to see. I want to see the singles match now between Shayna and, and and Becky. And, and I'm almost curious to know, like, 
it's it's up to Bailey now to really have to step up. You know, she to me is still the biggest question mark because she's still trying to figure out this brand new character. Can she live up to the intensity that these two delivered? Yeah, no. By the end of this, this is the singles match you want. Um, I, I I would seriously, I would I would have Shayna win this match, and I mean, you could go the one way where she beats Bailey and she wins, but hasn't beaten Becky, and that's your match, or she could beat Becky and it's you know. Becky yeah. demanding this match and then Shayna gets on to Raw um, at right. some point because we, we can see like she is near the end of the road at NXT. I think like you should be starting to write her out of NXT over the next few months. Maybe she has one more takeover cycle, but mm-hmm. they're clearly building towards someone unseating Shayna in NXT. And I think like this to me uh, should increase the the movement to Raw for Shayna. I think what you suggested would be the finish I would go with. Her beating Becky to lead to that singles match. Yeah. To me, I don't think I Becky, like that. Becky doesn't lose anything because she's going to want to get revenge. She has, she gains a reason to get revenge on Shayna. Whereas if Bailey took the pin, I mean, that just sucks for it's Bailey. It's a cop out. If you, and, and if you're not going to that match, then it's just like you're beating that champion with no yeah. idea down the road, as opposed to Becky, where the loss will be impactful. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Like ultimately, so, I think, I think, you know, if Becky lost, everybody could gain. But if Bailey lost, I mean, Bailey just loses, and yeah. maybe the other two are unprotect are, are protected. But yeah, yeah. So no, I I feel pretty strongly about that that finish. The OC comes out. Styles tells the crowd he's not in the mood. Gallows and Anderson are the best tag team in the world, and after all the craziness, the trophy made its way from Saudi Arabia. Well, thank Ringside. goodness. Thank goodness. Yeah. On the charter. Um, yeah, maybe this maybe this was on the first charter. It was a big trophy. It's a top 20 trophy. Yes. Um, they don't give a damn about NXT. The next time they see those punks, they will make sure that they never step out of Orlando. And then the Street Profits came out with Umberto Carrillo, and they all had microphones. And when Umberto Carrillo has a microphone, I know Waiting is a happy man. They all took turns saying the exact same line that the Street Profits beat the OC on Raw two weeks ago. And, like, I get it. Like, they wanted to really drum this over and over again. And then AJ had a comeback, and (laughs) he mispronounces Umberto's name, and Jerry Lawler jumps on it saying, did he just call him Umbrella? And then Carrillo starts speaking in Spanish, and, man, this... They really struggled here. Um, and and uh, it's not even like a knock against anyone talking here, but this crowd was not taking to them. Yeah. Montez Ford was trying his best. Humberto Carrillo, he's just not a seasoned talker. It's just, that's just the fact. And th- this was a real challenge. I, I agree. In front of this crowd, I mean, yeah. I, I think in many ways this was really smart. I think the challenge of this this group had and the producers of this had was to attempt to fit the Street Profits with Humberto Carrillo, you know, something like personalities that really couldn't be farther apart in terms of promo ability and person and just charisma. I thought they script, they created the segment that allowed Humberto to, you know, piss AJ Styles off just by saying one relatively simple line over and over and again. And, and in execution, I thought he did the best he possibly could have. I thought everybody here did. I thought, I thought Ford was really good. Dawkins was really good. AJ's reactions were really good. And Carrillo was, you know, for what he had to do, was did a, did a very amicable job of it. Unfortunately, it was not enough for this crowd. 
who just, you know, created the whole thing with silence. And I mean, yes, it was not a great audience, but I, I still contend that it's, they're trying very hard with Carrillo, but I still have my doubts about whether or not he's right for this particular role. I, I think that it's something as well that in WWE, like once you, like you've beaten Carrillo, Styles has beaten Carrillo twice. And I think elsewhere, you can tell that story of the guy that keeps coming up short, but you see the improvements and the announcers get that across and he gets closer and closer each time and it builds to the big win. But I think that, a large part of this audience are so desensitized because you see a Cedric Alexander and it's like it's it's not a sign of a guy's improvement. This is not the the young lion system. It's just a sign that, OK, we are trained not to take this guy all that seriously. So I think doing the back to back losses last week, I think people are less inclined to be rooting for Umberto Carrillo, which doesn't mean to say he's a lost cause, just that you have that added work to showcase that this guy is a rising star and he is uh, moving up to a higher level. Yeah. So Lawler just was determined to get Umbrella over as Umberto's name. Uh, Lawler also got an update for us that Lesnar did not leave the building under his own power. Then when Carrillo got the tag, he was identified as a jumping bean. By who? Who do you think oh, called him man. a jumping bean in 2019 way? <laughs> Spoiler, it wasn't Vic. They had the the saddest hot tag because Montez Ford was on defense for, like, they went through a commercial break. And this was Montez Ford selling before the break then when we came back from the break he was still from behind like usually it's the wwe comeback we miss in the commercial break or where it switches no and then ford finally makes this tag there was not a person that applauded well i isn't this better for the viewer watching at home because it gives you the impression that you you didn't miss anything Oh, it does. I'm just saying for for a WWE way that they do things, like usually that never happens. And it just kind of pronounces like how long this guy was selling for. Yeah. um, So we didn't get that switch. It's good for us. But God, I I can't imagine like three more minutes of chin lock for this live audience than maybe what they already had here. So Carrillo gets the the frozen tag. And then within seconds, Ford comes back and hits a, a, a Topicon hero onto Gallows and Anderson. Styles misses a phenomenal forearm, snap powerbomb, and he uses the ropes to pin Carrillo in 1140. Vic is pissed. He calls this a ripoff. AJ stole the match as he uh, cheats to defeat Umbrella. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I thought the match was met with total silence, and I... I thought it was a relatively boring one, so I don't really blame this audience. Um, I, it, you know, they they want to push Carrillo, but I I just don't know if losing to AJ every single week is going to get more get him more fans and get him more people to to care about him to see AJ, him finally beat AJ. He's I mean, been pinned three times in a week by this guy. Yeah, yeah. Beyond that, like I just don't know if they've done i don't know if he's honestly capable of doing enough like stuff outside of the ring to get you to really even care 
certainly the booking's not not helping, but you know, is he is there an ident- identifiable quality about him outside of the in ring? He needs to start lighting stuff on fire. Okay. Like an actual arsonist. Yeah. Yeah, he has to go against his initial condemnation of Seth Rollins. That'd be interesting. Yep. Pyromaniac. Humberto Carrillo. Viking... Oh, this is where they announced Lesnar and Ray for Survivor Series, and they also announced the Viking Raiders versus Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish against the Revival for Survivor Series, which should be a hell of a match. That's going to be awesome. I mean, it's it's Red Dragon versus, like, War Machine, which... With, with the Revival on top of it. Hopefully they get the go, like, they get the time to go, because... That could steal the show, for sure. Yeah, it could be a really, really great match. The Viking Raiders destroyed the East Hampton Polo Boys in a minute two. I like what they're doing with these, like, just dressing up the job guys and making it a, a bit more fun, like they did last week with the Cubs and this week with the Polo Boys. So I, I, I just liked it. It was something different. I like it a lot, too. And I was surprised that this didn't get a bigger reaction from Long Island. To me, this was a, a real indication that maybe it was a lot of the town that that kind of affected it um but i like that they're not just relying on like sports teams but really going into a territory and asking who would this population hate the most and i guess here it was east hampton polo boys one of which uh, i i've been made aware is nikos ricos of nxt uh maybe oh was it worst stressed okay fan. yeah awesome that's great well next week they're in england so You've Ooh. got options. Yes. It's got to be some something to do with Brexit, right? Maybe like politicians, oh, members of parliament. Bo- Boris Johnson? Oh, okay. Yes. John Bo- J- Johnson Boris. That would be interesting. A lot of things you can play with. Yeah. So the uh yeah, the match went really quick here and then they cut a promo acknowledging their loss at Crown Jewel and the OC might uh, might be the best team in the world, uh, but tells them to enjoy their trophy. Victory is oftentimes nothing more than survival. Gallows and Anderson should thank the gods because they won the battle, but nothing can stop the raid. Although last week, the raid was somewhat stopped by Gallows and Anderson. Uh, I didn't get my Alistair Black like release this week, so this was the closest I got. The Viking Raiders. Well, I'm happy that they're giving them time to speak and really craft more of an identity. How do you think the promo was? Um, it was fine. It was fine, yeah. It was fine. Yeah. Adam Cole, Seth Rollins for the NXT title. Uh, they did plug Pete Dunne and Damian Priest for NXT this week. And Paul Levesque comes out with, my, uh, with Michael Cole, with Adam Cole. And Lawler says... He's worried about Vic Joseph because he spent a while in NXT, acknowledging that in Jerry Lawler's world, there is absolutely no difference between NXT and 205 Live. Nope. Nope. And I don't know if he's seen either. No, no. But thinking that Vic Joseph was calling NXT all this time uh, tells you how often. I mean, I, I guess he just thinks it's like the performance center. Yeah, but I mean, this guy is a. Uh... Um, has he not, has he called any, has he not called NXT? He's filled in for Moro. Uh, like he filled in for a takeover last year, but I mean, he's been there calling 205 live every week. Right. Yeah. 
and now uh, and, and was doing NXT UK as well. Cole gets sent into the barricade. They went through a break. There were several times that on this card, Vic Joseph brought up that Jerry Lawler teamed with Triple H once at the Survivor Series. And on this second attempt to get this uh, this talking point, Lawler just says, yeah, that's when he was like Hunter Hearst Helmsley. It was like, that was 23 years ago. So whatever point Vic was trying to bring up as that being kind of an insight into the mind of Paul Levesque in 2019, um, I, I don't know what 1996 could have told us about his plan tonight. So Rollins does a springboard into a super kick. He stopped the Panama Sunrise, hit a buckle bomb, and then Rollins leaps to the top, superplex, Falcon Arrow. Rollins is trying to rally the crowd. He's stomping the foot. And then the Undisputed Era jump Rollins for the DQ at 1229. Um, I really can't blame, you know, this crowd just had to be like somewhat deflated at this point. Um, Mm -hmm. And then that's the end of this match. I, I thought this was average. I would not recommend you would have to see this. This was a far cry from Cole and Brian on Friday. And unfortunate because I think, you know, expectations might have been so high based off of the excitement of that show. It was a very dull match. I agree with you. Um, I think a lot of it was perhaps due to atmosphere. Like if this match Probably. took place, you know, in front of a hotter crowd, uh, I-, I think we would respond to it a little bit better. But you also have to, you know, think about the show that maybe Long Island was presented with prior to this as as maybe a factor as well. Three hours is is going to make a difference sometimes. The match itself did not have the specialness of what we saw on Friday, not to mention the lack of finish. Although, in this case, I didn't really mind it because you've already established Cole at a at a certain level after he defeated Brian. Not sure if you needed to sacrifice Rollins as well. Um, yeah, overall, I would say Raw felt, I think, you know, like it, it was pretty standard and, and unfortunately unable to capture that same magic and spontaneity we had on Friday. Everything on the show felt predictable, but productive i would say towards SummerSlam or sorry survivor series like i think shayna becky was really good the hunter rollins stuff i thought was a good segment um i also really like the ray and brock stuff yeah uh just at the end here the nxt talent ran in we had champa riddle damian priest keith lee donovan dijakovic and the undisputed era uh there was an nxt champ but not an overwhelming one and the two big spots to end the show ricochet did a springboard shooting star to the floor that looked awesome and then keith lee with a topecon hero to end the show um i, I just think you know may- maybe it was um tough if you're comparing this to smackdown uh it certainly didn't have the impact of that it just sort of felt like we're trying to redo something that felt really special on Friday, a couple days later, and yeah, I, I, I think the atmosphere really killed this show. But you did get, you know, the segments you isolated. I think all, uh, especially Becky and Shayna, that was great. Ray and Brock was very strong stuff. Um, but the wrestling, like it was a, it was a muted crowd throughout this. So I can't say any of the matches really um, did a whole lot for me on this show. It was, uh, yeah. There was some good to find, but when it's three hours, it's um doesn't add up to a significant portion of the show. Let's see what you guys thought at the forums, forum.postwrestling.com. Out of 10, John, our forum voted 5.27 for this edition of Raw. Okay. Yeah, that's that's in line where, where I could see this one. Mm-hmm. 
We'll start with uh, Paul from New Jersey. I really enjoyed everything that involved Ray and Brock. Ray is doing some of the best character work of his career. Props to Deal Madden for falling on the sword for the king. For the first time in a long time, Seth sounded somewhat genuine, and Hunter was tremendous. Really enjoyed the Becky Lynch, Shayna Baszler sit down. Shayna came off intense. Negatives. Trying to turn my brain off for this cuck angle. But tonight was just too stupid. Didn't like Natty tapping Asuka, but if we've learned anything, become a women's tag champion, start losing immediately. Good start. But the show took a quick nosedive. Five out of ten. We got a Jay from Colorado who says, For everything SmackDown did right on Friday, Raw did wrong. While some of the NXT interactions were fresh, everything else was back to business as usual. Nothing was noteworthy tonight. I'm far less excited for Survivor Series now than I was before Raw airing tonight. Also, that crowd was awful. Good God. They didn't even do the boom thing for Adam Cole. But honestly, I don't blame them. Just a real letdown of a show after what we saw on Friday. Feels like the lessons that should have been learned from the seller show on Friday were completely lost on Raw. Hey, but I heard South Paul Regional Wrestling is coming back, so I got that going for me, which is nice. Is that true? I did not hear that. I think Fandango made some type of announcement to expect okay. it. Yeah. Okay. Well, it was popular the first go around. I think the second one, it was it was less. So we'll see if there's a uh, return to prominence for Southpaw Regional Wrestling. Brandon from Oshawa. I'm really enjoying the Ray and Brock feud, and I think it's one of the better rivalries on WWE TV in a while. The Shayna Becky stuff was solid. Survivor Series is looking like it could be a show of the year candidate, on paper at least. This show wasn't nearly as good as SmackDown. They could have put Cole over strong with another win. Instead, they went with a cop-out ending. Where the hell is Kevin Owens? He showed up to help the Street Profits a couple of weeks ago and has not been seen since. He was really getting over strong on SmackDown. I hope they can he- get heat back on him for an eventual WrestleMania match with Brock Lesnar. Well, um, <laughs> you can hope for that. Uh, certainly. Um, I, 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 I don't know. If we put out odds for Brock Lesnar's opponent, I don't know how high Kevin Roll- or Kevin Owens would be. Anything's, Good, po- anything's you, possible, you, you, but... Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if I'm expecting that right now. But, okay, do you see him having a role at, at Survivor Series? Kevin Owens? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. I think so, too. Unless unless there's some issue, but I'm not aware no. of anything. So, yeah, uh, I would definitely expect them to be involved. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm assuming that maybe they just didn't have something for him today, or maybe they're saving up, him up for something else, but we shall see. We go to Noah from Vaughn, who says, Another Seth Rollins match ending in a DQ. What a shock. I'm still baffled as to why they had Natalia tap out Asuka. And by the way, did I miss the part where they announced the stakes for Survivor Series? Or are we doing the brand supremacy gimmick again? Of which we've gotten no follow-up to three years straight. Um, they have not announced stakes uh, other than bragging rights. Are you not familiar with the term bragging rights? Exactly. You yeah. have the right to brag for a year. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, it's a privilege that I think is very coveted in uh, professional wrestling. I mean, as far as uh, Natalia tapping Asuka, I, I mean, I'm guessing they just, you know, they wanted to carry on the momentum that I feel they, they, they've had Natalia. They've given Natalia based off of the, the crown jewel thing. Um, and Kyrie Sane has taken the previous fall. So maybe it's time for Asuka to do it. I, I, th- I think they're clearly building Charlotte and Natalia up for a tag title shot. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Diana from Pittsburgh. 
she writes, thought it was a better Raw than the last few months, ignoring the Lana Rusev angle. Ray is carrying the feud with Brock with his excellent promos each week. Additionally, the interview with Becky and Shayna felt a little cliche, but both women felt important, gave great promos, and I like that they brought up Shayna's history with Ronda as part of her motivation in the match. I like that, too, that they, they made that connection clear for viewers that might not be aware. Mm-hmm. Um, she goes on to say, but Bailey feels like a total afterthought here as usual, which is a shame. NXT has felt really special the last two episodes. I'm hoping they get a couple wins at the pay-per-view, even if they seem to be doing all triple threats like you guys feared they might. Last thing, when Triple H offered to bring Rollins to NXT, I found myself praying it wouldn't happen. I can't imagine this dorky, embarrassing version of Rollins anywhere near NXT, which feels like the cooler, more serious show. Speaks volumes about what they've done to him as a babyface over the past few months. Mild interest in Survivor Series right now, but we'll see what they can do with the next few weeks. Well, I mean, I, I have a feeling that if we get Rollins on NXT, it wouldn't be this dorky Rollins on NXT. It would be, you know, I think a bit more of a, a Rollins with a bit more of a makeover like we've seen with Finn Balor. But I mean, that's, I don't see that happening either way. Maybe he, maybe he comes to NXT as a heel and he cuts a promo saying, oh my God, I woke up in the minor leagues. <laughs> That'd be awesome. That'd be great. <laughs> Uh, we got a Nas from NYC who says so many ups and downs from this episode. The Ray Brock angle was great. Enjoyed Murphy versus Alexander. Shada and Becky were great. Seth on the mic wasn't a disaster. Was it just me or the tag or were the women's tag matches just awful and full of botches? Asuka tapping out 10 seconds into a terrible looking sharpshooter, undoing everything from that excellent tag match on NXT last week. The main event finish and ending brawl was just terrible. Uh, I definitely noticed like some maybe clunkiness in that match. I mean, I don't think that sharpshooter looked bad though. Like, I think I think it looked perfectly fine to me. Like, as good as Natalia always does it. Did you notice anything wrong? Um, you know, it, it, like I didn't think it was spectacular or anything, but I also didn't watch it like it was uh falling apart or anything like that either. It was just I, I more so it was it was eighteen minutes. It was a long match. I think I think longer than it needed to be. Yeah. Yeah. And Samuel from Quebec. Hi guys. Just recently joined the Patreon. This is my first time leaving feedback. Well, thank you, Samuel. Tonight's Raw was a mixed bag for me. Loved Ray's attack on Lesnar and his promo afterwards. I'm willing to say this is the best thing WWE has done with Ray since 2006. My favorite segment of the night was Becky's interview and face-to-face with Shayna. Both women showed a lot of confidence, and I thought Becky's acting was perfect. Other than that, NXT's involvement on the show was far weaker than Friday's. I'm glad Raw is still focusing on pushing new guys like Buddy Murphy, Umberto Carrillo, the Street Profits, and the War Raiders. For the bad, I was disappointed they made Asuka tap to Natalia. Man, a lot of people are pissed about this. Uh, I hate WWE's habit of defeating their champions. I'm 100% done with the Rusev-Lana angle and Randy Orton being involved. Is this so random? It's funny. Seth's promo was bland as always. There's nothing Triple H can do to make Seth hot again. Sad there was no Aleister Black in the dark promo. Six out of ten. I think people seem to be upset that champions are getting pinned as a way to build new challengers. Um, I think that's certainly something you know you, you can address and complain about. It's But it's just... It's their playbook. I mean, how else are you going to build up to a championship match without, you know, beating the champion first? We go to mind games. Yeah. We go to Varouge from Phoenix who says, Ray has been amazing lately. I hope they don't just cast him aside after this program with Brock, but I don't have a lot of faith in WWE, so he'll probably be losing weekly to Baron Corbin in a month or two. I can't wait for Shayna versus Becky. I can't even call this one, but I don't think I even care who wins. I'm just excited for the buildup in the match. Well, I mean, it's Shayna versus Becky versus Bailey, so 
Maybe in the future you'll get Shayna versus Becky. He says, I look forward to uh, Dynamite every week, but this week I'm actually more interested in NXT. Feels like an invasion is a damn near guarantee on that show as well. Can't wait to see Shorty G obliterate Velveteen Dream. Also, I've been listening to y'all for about a year, and I just recently signed up for your Patreon. Glad I did. Y'all are dope. Love you. Thank well, you. We love you too, Varouge. Yeah. I never thank get you. called dope, so thank you. Stan from Vancouver. The Shayna Becky sit-down was the best part of the show, but the difference between both SmackDown and Raw was huge. Not sure who was writing the show, but they killed almost all the momentum they had started on SmackDown three days earlier. I'm not sure if it's because of the crowd or the booking, but over the span of three hours, not one person felt like they were over other than Brock Lesnar. The pop Adam Cole got in Buffalo compared to Long Island was night and day. The big brawl to close the show felt like it was slow and paint by numbers. There was no passion or emotion expressed by the participants to make this feel like it's supposed to be something big. I totally agree about about that brawl. I mean, you know, obviously the first time seeing NXT on a WWE product or main roster product is going to feel a bit special. But I, I was absolutely like maybe a little bit surprised at how unspecial it felt this quickly, just three days later. And I totally agree with with Stan about how generic that brawl felt at the end did not feel special at all. We got Alex from Portland who says he has a question considering how prominently both men were featured in NXT. Are you surprised Keith Lee is getting featured in the NXT invasion over Dominic Dijakovic? I'd have figured NXT and WWE would have wanted Dijakovic to be the bigger featured star out of the two. I mean, he had the big spot at the end. I'll say one of my critiques of the final segment was that I felt they, like the NXT guys were just kind of a blur there. Like, I think you, if you were a regular viewer of Raw, I don't even know if you'd really register that Matt Riddle was even on your screen in that final segment. I I think it was just, they threw everyone out there and you didn't even get to process who was there and... Yeah. I don't know. I, it's like It was really built around the two dives at the end, and that's going to be your lasting impression of that segment. Two guys, so being, two guys being NM Cole and Keith Lee? Um, well, we got Ricochet with the, the shooting star to the floor and then the Keith Lee dive oh. at the end. Yeah, right. Um, I think, to me personally, I think Keith Lee is, is a, more of a sure thing than Dominic Dajakovic. To me, it's more impressive yeah. to see like a 300-pounder do uh, giant flips than, you know, it even is to see a tall guy do giant flips. Um, I, I So it doesn't surprise me all that much. But we also don't know what their plans are for Dijakovic. Like they could they could give him a big spot maybe on Friday. Uh, we're not really sure. Your turn. Oh, sorry. Um, we've got a... We've got a... A bunch of announcements. A bunch of, a bunch of announcements to get yeah. to after this. Um Matt from Toronto, longtime law listener, recent Patreon and post wrestling cafe member, first time poster. Well, thank you guys. Uh, found the show to be a mixed bag tonight. I enjoyed the Lesnar stuff to start the show. The way they're using Ray here is refreshing compared to how wasteful they've been since his return. Disappointed with the DQ finish in the main event. But then again, Cole wasn't going to lose. His question, how do you feel the Seth Hunter promo went? Uh, we went over that. More of the same, or did you feel like their interaction adds a bit of, albeit rehashed, interest to Seth's character? This may be unfair, but damn, that crowd was awful. They didn't pop for anything. That might be a reflection on the overall pacing or product being presented, but it felt everyone in attendance was completely unfamiliar with everyone and everything on the show. Five poutines out of ten. The question is, way does Pat McAfee release a video this week or not? Was the crowd at that level? <laughs> uh, maybe he'll talk about it on his podcast. 
and and detail it. I don't know if it was at that level. Uh, certainly, like, you know, um, I don't know if it was at that level. Um, they weren't great, but I don't know if it's worth. I don't even know if he's still doing those segments anymore. Did you hear his story? How crazy it was. I did. Yeah. So we can quickly recap this. So he gets contacted by text message. On Friday at 1.42 p.m., he's in Indianapolis. He's just gotten home from Waco, Texas, and he's asked, hey, can you do commentary tonight? And it's it's Hunter, and he hasn't run it by Vince yet. So he's just like, before I pitch it, can you do it? And he's saying yes. And then he is, is starting to try and find a flight there. He can't find any commercial flights. He can't get there. And he ends up calling in a favor to the Indianapolis Colts and the Colts lend the Colts owner lends Pat their jet to fly him to Buffalo. And he got there at about 630. So about an hour and a half before the show. And so he was not uh, getting there later. He was there. He was there before the NXT talent. And he, he used to play for the Colts. So we should add that. Yeah, that's that's the connection there. But um, amazing. You know, it. In regards to him coming out later in the show, like, it does make sense. Like, he was there as the NXT representative, and you had to put him on after Shayna makes her first entrance to establish NXT is here. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I, yeah. I think that made sense so, to me, too. Yeah. Um, he, yeah, anyway. Matt asked if uh, earlier if uh, there's renewed interest in Seth's character. I think a lot of that is dependent on how the storyline is played out. Uh, I would say for me personally, I was certainly more interested in seeing how, you know, uh, I thought the segment went really well with Triple H and, and, and Seth talking about his history. And, and again, Triple H trying to manipulate Seth Rollins into joining him again. I was invested. But coming out of the show, you're still left with these questions. And if they remember, they, if they remain unsettled, then I mean, that's just another disappointment in Seth Rollins' recent career, isn't it? So I think a lot of it depends on how they follow up. In the end, if he gi- if you give me a compelling story and compelling wrestling, I will certainly be a Seth Rollins fan uh, at very much the same levels as as my peak. Uh, and I think that goes for a lot of people. It's just that he's been in- involved in a string of very disappointing storylines as of late. So let's hope this one isn't just a- an addition to that. Shall we uh, go over some news from New Japan Pro Wrestling? Yes. Okay, so New Japan has just done a, a huge news dump. So starting off, uh, they've revealed the card for San Jose on Saturday night. It's going to be headlined by Kazuchika Okada and Will Ospreay against Kota Ibushi and the Amazing Red, who is back again. Wow. Uh, awesome. uh, the other, the rest of the card, Shingo Takagi and Tetsuya Naito against Jay White and Chase Owens. Uh, U.S. title match that was set up at Power Struggle with Lance Archer and David Finley. British Cruiserweight Championship match, El Fantasmo defending the title against Sho Tanaka, which could be really great. Uh, Rocky Romero, Yo, and Hiroki Goto against Kenta, Taiji Ishimori, and Jado. Uh, TJP, Tomohiro Ishii, and Juice Robinson against Bushi, Sonata, and Evil. Clark Connors and Carl Fredericks against El Desperado and Minoru Suzuki, who is coming over. And then Jushin Thunder Liger's U.S. Farewell. It's going to be Aaron Solo and Jushin Thunder Liger against Colt Cabana and Toru Yano. Uh, okay, so this is being billed as his last match ever in the U.S.? Um, I think he's only doing San Jose. I don't think he's doing the L.A. show. They're doing L.A. on Monday, and I don't think Liger's on that card. And then Ren Narita versus uh, Alex uh, Coughlin uh, huh. to open the show. So okay. That's San Jose on Saturday. Really good card. 
Uh, top end certainly looks looks really good. Um, you know, happy to see Amazing Red get get himself like a main event spotted against Kazuchika Okada and Will Ospreay there. Um, it, it looks like definitely a solid show for sure. Show versus okay. like ELP, yeah. Then we go to the January fourth announcements, and it's going to be Kazuchika Okada versus Kota Ibushi for the IWGP title, and Jay White versus Tetsuya Naito for the Intercontinental title. The boats are in way. Okay, sorry. Did you go through the LA show as well? I didn't go through the LA show. Uh, We can go through that, though. Okay, Um, we don't have to. It's not as important. um, Do do you have it in front of you? I do, yeah. Yeah. Okay, why don't don't you read the card? My internet's very slow. Gotcha, okay. So, okay, before... We're just going in order of the news, everybody. We will get to Wrestle Kingdom very soon. But uh, in the main event of the LA show, which uh, takes place... uh, When is this? Uh, Monday. Monday, okay. Uh, we have a, looks like it's a six-man main event with LIJ with uh, Naito, Shingo Takagi, and Bushi taking on Jay White, Chase Owens, and Gato. Uh, and then we have a semi-main event and looks like another trios match with uh, Hiroki Goto, Rapungi 3K taking on Kenta, and uh, Taiji Ishimori, and uh, ELP. And then we have Koto Bushi taking on Ren Narita, which is an interesting matchup that um, I'm definitely curious about. Oh, that that sounds great. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't see the rest of... Okay, also on the card, Rocky Romero and Tomohiro Ishii take on uh, Sonata and Evil. Clark Connors, David Finley, and Juice Robinson take on El Desperado, Lance Archer, and Minoru Suzuki. Uh, and then, let's see, Colcabana and Toriano will combine to face Alex Coughlin and Carl Fredericks. And the opening match is TJP and Amazing Red facing Aaron Solo and the debuting Alex Zane. Oh, Alex Zane's on the card. Oh, Alex that's Zane interesting. Making his debut awesome. for New Japan. Wow. Yeah. So there you go. Those are the uh, the upcoming U.S. shows this week. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. Alex Zane on a New Japan card. He's had like a breakout year uh, this year. So um, then we go to Wrestle Kingdom. So as we mentioned, it's the two title matches with Okada, Abushi, and Jay White versus uh, Tetsuya Naito. Uh, made official as well, Will Ospreay, Hiromu Takahashi, and the previously announced 10-man tag uh, with with Liger and past and present rivals. So those had already been announced. Then the second night is going to feature the double title main event. Uh, so the winner of Okada and Ibushi against the winner of Jay White and Tetsuya Naito. So it says that the... Uh, so, the so the fan votes came in and yeah, they want they this. Will. Surprise. They will have a dual champion. Okay. Yes. At the end of the night. Yep. Yes. Um, I'm just uh, skipping through this. Yep. Um, Sorry. I'm just looking at the the way they announce, the way they list this is just, you mentioned Jericho and and Tanahashi, of course. Yes. That is official. And then Uh, we've got the the results from the Super Junior Tag League, Rapongi 3K challenging El Fantasmo and Taiji Ishimori. And that's... Those are the announcements. That Plus, Jushin Liger's retirement match will be on the 5th. Okay, anything else? New Year's Dash is going to be a mystery card, which will also feature Jushin Liger's retirement ceremony. So they're doing the Mystery Vortex deal at New Year's Dash, which they do every year. It's always, they don't announce the card ahead of time. So right. they're just promoting the fact it'll be a mystery show. So there you go. Those are all your New Japan announcements. Quite a bit. Well, all right. Very exciting. Uh, a lot of news to come. 
Uh, and a lot of uh, great shows to come, it looks like, from New Japan. Yes. All right. Uh, packed edition of the show. So thanks to all of you that have made it to the end. We appreciate you very much. Again, we'll be back Tuesday night with Rewind Away, number 48, reviewing New Beginning in Osaka from February of 2014. You can check out that as we travel back uh, almost six years ago to Osaka. So look forward to that. Postwrestling.com, postwrestlingcafe.com. Way, the final word is yours. Boom.